as Mark said, we are sitting here, and I'm so pleased there are nine men and uh, three ladies tonight. And the only reason I say that is that there are nine men here. There are more men than ladies. Not because I don't love ladies, but one of the marks of true ministry of God's Spirit is that men gather. And that's important to understand. One of the differences between men and women naturally is that ladies are much more responsive. They will respond. Their life uh, as a woman is essentially a responsive life. Whereas the man is to be the first actor, if you like, the first one, and uh, I hesitate to say the primary mover, but there's truth in that. And where God is moving, it's men. And one of the things that is the result of uh, the confusion of sexuality that has been emerging in the last hundred years, particularly, but particularly the last 30 or 40 years, is the destabilizing of manhood, of masculinity. And that has a direct impact on the church. Because what's in the world has an impact on the church. And so it's a very serious thing, which we will come on to in two or three sessions down the line, of male-female relationships within God's house. And you must remember something quite important, really. The earth is the Lord's, and the whole earth is the Lord's house. And the whole earth is his house. He owns it, and he dwells in it, and don't become twisted up in words like, uh, what's the word, omnipresence. Oh yes, I believe that the Lord is everywhere. Don't get just a theory about that. Uh, theological doctrinal theory. The Lord is everywhere. He's omnipresent. Don't just get tied up in the word. Omnipresent. We have to go much deeper than that. And if you remember the man who became Israel, uh, his name was Jacob, and he became Israel, he was someone who, who was full of himself 
in ways. And he was chased out of his home and he went to sleep in the wilderness. You remember the story? And he put the pillow up for his head. And, you know, he went to sleep on the rock, uh, a rock as a pillow. And whilst he was there, in his sleep, he dreamt. And he came into an amazing revelation. The Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. Because he saw that there were angels. If you read the scripture carefully, you find that he saw a ladder and he saw angels ascending and descending. Ascending and descending on an ordinary old rock in the wilderness. Which tells you, among other things, that there are angels in God's house. Angels in the wilderness. There are angels in Washington. There are angels. Everything is God's house. And the church, of course, is the place which is especially his house, if it is living up to its calling, where he is especially present. But everywhere is his house. And one of the things I thank God for years and years ago was the fact, because I was often asked this question, can you feel the evil when you fly into Kathmandu? No. Can you feel the evil when you go to this place or that place? Now I know that there are places where the enemy makes his particular, remember he's the usurper, you must remember that, he doesn't belong there, doesn't belong anywhere on the earth. And I know there are places sometimes where he has nests of demons and witches and things like that. Some of you know about Dartmoor, covens of witches and things like that. But I thank the Lord that the scripture says, usually you are most conscious of what is in your heart. So if you're forever seeing demons in Kathmandu or evil powers here or there or everywhere, it is usually a reflection that there is a refraction, a problem in your own heart. Whereas Jesus said, the pure in heart, finish the verse, they see God. They see God. Because God is in their heart. Their heart is pure. And they see God. 
But having said that, you see, the church is that place where the Lord should be especially present. Angels are especially onlooking, watching, seeing. Again, that comes from 1 Corinthians, where in chapter 11 there's a distinct instruction and revelation that Paul brings in chapter 11, where he says, doesn't he, that angels are interested in what is born. Uh, you know what I'm talking about. About what is covered and what is uncovered. Because of the angels. What is covered and what is uncovered. And we will come on to that on another occasion. And uh, these things, it shows you that uh, the angels are looking into, Peter put it that way, didn't he? They're looking into. In his first letter, he says, the angels are looking into. And the church is a wonderful place. And my desire tonight is to emphasize almost exclusively the revelation of the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians. That's what I want to do. And I'm conscious that there, I guess, there are people who are on from Poland and um, uh, maybe one or two other countries who have not got uh, English as their first language. Mm. But so I'm going to use some words tonight, all based in the first letter of Corinthians, and which you might have to make a note of, because I want to expand our understanding of the Spirit of God. And I must begin again by pointing out to you that Paul does not mention the Spirit until chapter 2. That he begins where everything should begin. He begins with God the Father. So that in chapter 1, he talks about God the Father choosing, that uh, he begins by talking about the Lord, the Father, the Father, the Father. And then immediately he begins to talk about the Lord Jesus Christ, about the Son. Father, Son. So that you notice in chapter 1, verse 1, this is where he says that all, I'm called by the will of God. And usually in the New Testament, whenever the word God is mentioned, it refers to the Father, the Father, the Father. And if you just think about Father, um, 
You know, there can't be family without father. Um, mother can't have a child. She can't become a mother. She cannot realize her potential as a woman unless there is a man. It is the father who has the seed. Very important. And all this, of course, is patterned upon the Godhead, that everything begins with God the Father. And the seed is God the Son, who's in the Father. That's why the Father cannot become Father unless through Son. He, he works in creation, in redemption, through Son, because Son is the seed. And it's, um, if some of you are interested, and I would encourage you, who are wanting to know real spiritual life, you can do little better than read some of the Quaker, George Fox, Isaac Pennington, uh, Robert Barclay, um, John Woolman, some of the greatest things ever written. And they don't particularly talk about the indwelling spirit so much as the living seed, Jesus Christ, dwelling in us, the seed. And they had such a confidence in the indwelling Christ by the Spirit, that they would come together in the certainty that the living Christ was the true minister who would speak in them and through them to the Father, to one another, to encourage, to stir, and they had a profound revelation. And so when you come into chapter 1, it's all by the grace of God. You notice this in verse 4, chapter 1, where the grace of God was given you in Christ Jesus. The grace of God was given to you in Christ Jesus. The Father gives us all through his Son. And so he develops all this um, in chapter 1. And one of the reasons that Paul writes like this, of course, is because their understanding in Corinth, the people's background was one where they 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 were either, it's a little simplification, but they either came from a very inflated philosophical background or a highly charged, sensual, psychic background. So they had a familiar familiarity with spirits with gods, with idols, with the occult, with the hidden realm. You know the word occult means 
that which is hidden, the hidden realm. So many of them came from that background. And many of them came who had delighted in words. Philosophy. 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 And some of them in a mixture of things, which is why in chapter 1, Paul, because they were interested in power, so some of them were very interested in power, 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 psychic power, occult power, demonic power, prophetic power, all those sorts of things, and other of them were very, very interested in philosophical ideas, wisdom, 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 which is why in chapter 1, Paul says that, here it is, that uh, he says that Christ is what? Christ is what? What does he say? That Christ is. Here it is at the end of verse 24. Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. He is wanting to focus them, that's the end of chapter, uh, ch uh, chapter 1, verse 24, Christ, the power of God. So you're looking for power, Corinthians? Don't look to the occult realms, don't look to the psychic realms, don't look to those sort of prophetic realms where some lady uh, worshipping a goddess uh, was a prophetess and she would bring fortune telling and this and that and the other don't look there Christ is the power of God and uh, for those who were going to philosophical schools Epicureans, this, that and the other that were reasoning and they loved to delight in reasoning it's an interesting thing because the Greeks are still like this Hayden um, and I have spent a lot of time among Greek-speaking people, and you, you know they have a joke about themselves. If you have two men talking about politics, you will end up with three political parties. Um, it, because they love to talk and you know, all this thing, and it's even true, I'm sorry to say, even in the churches can be defiled by this. You know, the, the, the delight in words. And so Paul says, no, Christ <clears throat> is the wisdom of God. Don't seek <clears throat> for wisdom. What is uh, a philosopher? What does the word a lover of wisdom, sophos, wisdom, isn't that right? Sophia, wisdom, philo, lover of wisdom. And people get wrapped up <clears throat> in these things. So Paul has to lay this foundation and then only having laid down the foundation of the God the Father, and God the Son, will he begin now to, throughout the rest of the letter, he will say many things about the Spirit and the Spirit's ministry. 
And the first reference is in chapter 2, through the Spirit. When I came to you, brethren, I did not come to you proclaiming the testimony of God in lofty words or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now even that is profoundly uh, telling. Uh, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ. And many could stop there. Jesus Christ. In fact, many do. But he says, no, Jesus Christ, I determined to not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Crucified. The object of shame. The, you, you know that the Roman uh, method of capital punishment was crucifixion. It was a horrible thing and it was associated in both the Roman mind, the Greek mind and the Jewish mind with shame and horror and weakness. Imagine, and you mustn't take in these pictures which show the crucified person with a loincloth on. They were almost without exception crucified naked. It was part of the shame. Powerless and weak. I determined not to know anything among you. You see, our, it's not a religion, of course, we're not a religion, um, not strictly speaking. Christianity is not a religion per se. It's a life. Uh, it's living. But you understand that it is central to it is the cross of Jesus, the object of weakness. And if we are to live, and this is the thing, if we are to really live, we must become accustomed to weakness. Now, even in the last week, someone wrote to me, a young, younger man from Alabama, and uh, he, he wrote to me about the demonstration of the Spirit. He asked me about it. He's been thinking about it because it's the word that Paul says here, verse 4, he said, I was with you, verse 3, in weakness and in much fear and trembling. Weakness, fear, trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power that your faith should not stand in 
the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. And this young man wrote to me about it, demonstration of the spirit and power. And he was thinking of his own church. And he said, I, I realize there's virtually no real demonstration of the spirit and power in our church. He wasn't complaining, he wasn't criticizing. And neither was he interpreting it in some kind of phenomenal way. You know, power would mean a, you know, a miracle a week or a miracle a day. He wasn't interpreting it that way. He was seeing a little deeper than that. It includes some signs mm -hmm. and miracles and healings. Mm -hmm. But it is more than that. It's to do with someone who's been brought to weakness, brought to dependence, brought to an appropriate end of themselves, who've come through that to the confidence, through Christ I am able to do all things. So he's not, you understand, the weakness, you see, this is one of the things that was probably somewhat obscene to the Corinthian people. The, you know, the idea of making the church acceptable, glowing, attractive, that kind of idea, instead of the weakness, which is the ground on which the spirit makes strong, so that I'm not encouraging you to follow um, or to be swept off your feet by Mother Teresa of Calcutta. But so many of those who God has greatly used have been no stranger to personal weakness, being brought to the end of themselves by personal failure, led there by the work of the Spirit, so that the Spirit may become a living demonstration. There is another power in this man. There is another power in this woman. There is another power in this church. There is another Spirit. There is another Spirit. It's a very, very wonderful thing. And Paul says, I came to you in the demonstration of the Spirit. He demonstrated that he was of another spirit. He wasn't like their usual instructors and teachers and philosophers and uh, people who, you know, that they would have been used to before they came to the Lord. He was a different man. Those that were with him. And I wrote back to this young man and one of the things that I said to him, you're not to be afraid of feeling your total natural inadequacy. 
You mustn't rely on the fact that you've done Bible studies and been through this course and that course and the other. You, you've got to learn a relationship of profound dependence. Dependence. I always remember um, a long time ago linking up two verses in the Song of Solomon, your findings are two separate verses, where it talks about someone who's coming up from the wilderness. And uh, she's terrible as an army with banners. And the other verse is, who is this coming out of the wilderness, leaning on the arm of her beloved. And those two verses connected in my mind decades ago and I saw something about the real church. When she is ready to live in the wilderness with her beloved and she comes forth, she looks terrible as an army with banners, you know, terrible, in the proper use of the word terrible. You know, we talk about terrible music or, you know, terrible writing or, you know, teachers talk about, oh, your writing's terrible. And they used to say that in my day, anyway. And uh, I, I worked to make my writing good. And uh, your writing's terrible, it's not even legible. And then you know, all these things, but terrible as an army with bands, those who lean, weakness. And this is how the Spirit is demonstrated. One of the problems with us is that we're often too talented, too educated to become simple. It's simple enough to be dependent. Simple enough to give the Lord room uh, in our lives. So that's the first thing, that the Spirit seeks room where he can demonstrate his life, to demonstrate through weak vessels. So apparently Paul when he went to the Corinthians, he even needed a special word from Jesus. Do you remember that the Lord, you'll read this in Acts 18, where the Lord Jesus had to come to him to tell him, and these are strange words because there's nothing wasted in Jesus' words. I'll just read them to you. Um, because they're worth reading, because the Lord came to him. And this is, he'd begun, had some ministry there, he'd been disturbed in spirit, and uh, there'd been trouble already. And the, this is Acts 18, verse 9. And the Lord said to Paul, one night in a vision, do not be afraid. The old version says, fear not. In fact, in Greek, it's just two words. 
Fear not. Fear not. The simple words. And Paul must have needed that. Fear not. But speak and do not be silent. For I am with you and no man shall attack you to harm you. For I have many people in this city. Isn't it good to hear the Lord? Do you realize that one of the greatest difficulties that we have is to get quiet enough to hear him? That we live in a world of noise where words are thrown around all over the place. Don't you grieve when almost every under 30 that I see, almost every under 30 year old is walking along with their phone and their eyes glued to their phone. What are they listening to? What words are they reading? One or two of them might be learning Italian or taking advantage or something, if you want to learn one of the most beautiful languages in the world. Um, <laughs> I'm a bit biased that way, because that's my background. But, you know, hallelujah. But you, you grieve over young people. Because, you know, did you know that all God's words came out of silence? The bliss of God having nothing that he, 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 there's God and all true words come up from the silence. From the silence. Which is why the woman leaning on the arms of her beloved comes out of the wilderness because one of the, I always remember reading Oswald Chambers, how he loved to go out into the desert mm. when he was in Zaytun in Egypt at night time sometimes he just loved to go out into the desert, mm. the sand dunes and Hazel and I have been in the Sahara and very, very, very beautiful mm. in this it's stillness, stillness. And uh, the stars almost seem to be touching the ground a little bit like in Alabama, actually, the stars there in Alabama. They say, I don't know why it is, but the stars seem very low. If you take time to go out there and just be quiet, mm -hmm. and you begin to touch eternity in time, mm -hmm. that's what we need. You need it eternity in time so that our inner man can begin to slow down from its rush of one thought just one after the other after the other after the other so that we're quiet enough to hear dependency you know the demonstration of the spirit 
And you know the Spirit does want to demonstrate in us. He wants to demonstrate to us. You know, He wants to show us I can be trusted. I can I can give you the, the words. I can give you the strength. I can give you the patience. I can give you the courage. He wants to demonstrate. I can give you the long suffering. I can give you the wisdom of the Lord when you need it. I can, I can give you you know, you think of patience. Uh, you know, I re excuse me. I realise how children, when they grow into teenagers, you know, they talk about. Do they call the terrible twos, and then uh, this and that, and the others, and then they come into teenage years? And I'll tell you one of the big secrets that uh, parents must learn as their children grow into teenage years, to be more than simply parents, but to be friends mm. with your children. Mm. Be friends with them. As well as mum and dad, you know, to enter in with them to their appropriate interests and to steer them at all kinds of things. It's very wonderful, of course, and it's a tremendous thing. So the Spirit is longing to be able to have, shall I say, hearts that will just let him demonstrate. You know, and demonstrate, imagine the vessel. It's lovely to, you know, did I, was it here or somewhere where the Spirit just wants someone who's broken? I remember this man in a meeting in Exeter who came in, a greatly loved man. Sorry if I told you this before, but greatly loved. And he was very low in spirit. And I recognised it, and he told us, I've been told that I have an incurable cancer, I'm going to die. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just, it broke my heart. And, uh, you know, just weak, and I, I went across to him, remember, he was sitting by the fireplace, the mantel shelf. And he sat on his chair and I just knelt there. It was an evening meeting beside him and held him in my arms and wept over him. And that was all. Never prayed. Then mm -hmm. the Lord raised him up. He was miraculously healed. Mm -hmm. And in Canada, Someone said to me, you're the man, that brother told us the story. Do you know what he said? I was healed by love. Mm -hmm. You know, we should have 
some of these examples where we're weak enough to let go and not, you know, I'm not talking about emotion for emotion's sake. I wasn't being emotional for emotion's sake. Do you understand what we're saying? To give the Spirit, He wants to demonstrate. And if we're all shaped and molded according to our education and our background and our this and our that and locked up, He'll never be able to demonstrate. His wonderful spirit. Wonderful. And you go on through this chapter, let's leave that, because if you go on in chapter 2 of Corinthians, you'll find that Paul starts to talk more about the spirit. And I'll just focus here about the the, the wonderful gifts that the Lord <clears throat> has given to us. Verse 9. It's written, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man has conceived, what God has prepared for those that love him. Isn't that a, a marvellous thing? that, um, you know, God has got things prepared for us. Don't put it into the future only, will you? But even as we live here on earth, can I say this to you? I mentioned earlier about the earth is the Lord's and the whole earth is the Lord's house. Tell me, in those simple words that Jesus said, in Matthew 5, did he say something about inheriting the earth? Yes. Don't put it all into the future. You know, the earth is the Lord's and you're his. Walk freely in it. Walk freely in it. Not brashly, not fearfully, not noisily, you know, with a false boldness, but walk through it. Walk into this place and that place. It's the Lord's. You are to inherit the earth. The moment you walked into that house that you bought, or you're buying, or you're renting, it's yours. It's from Him. If you sense that there's been some horrible thing that's gone there in the past and something's gone on there, you don't necessarily special prayer on it, yeah. it's yours, the Lord has given it to you, but if it helps you to be comfortable, and uh, certainly I've been involved in this and seen 
things depart from the houses that have been lingering there through the wicked worship of people that have gone on there before or the drug abuse or whatever but it's yours the earth is that but we tend to put that in we inherit the earth you know the new earth no it's in the earth this one Amen. Amen. So if the Lord says to you, move to the Antipodes, to Australia, or New Zealand, go there. It's yours. Inherit it. Inherit it. Hallelujah. So we put these things, the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Love is always the key. And love, there are things that God has got for you next week. Yes. 2021. Coming up shortly. You know, there are things that he has for us. Good things. And Paul says in chapter in chapter 2, verse 10, he says that the Spirit wants to engage in revelation. God has revealed to us through the Spirit. <clears throat> revelation. I hope that you notice the order. In order for there to be the demonstration of the Spirit in your life, you must be brought, I must be brought to weakness, to dependency. And then the Spirit in a dependent person who's looking unto the Lord will engage in periods of revelation where he will take the veil off and you will begin to see the meaning of life. You will see the richness of salvation. You will see things you never saw before. Or you're reading a verse of scripture and you've read it before it was just a verse in the Bible and then he takes the veil away revelation means taking the veil away this must be happening to you and me whether we're preachers or not taking the veil away so that you see a little more of his love for you for your neighbour, for persons, taking the veil away. <clears throat> you see, it's often the fact that we live behind a misty veil that means that we are afraid, as we can't see as clearly as we should. But there's revelation, Paul experienced revelation. I don't know whether you have thought of Paul when he was 
standing as a young man looking after the clothes of Stephen. Mm. Uh, sorry, the people who were throwing things at Stephen. Do you remember? Yeah. In Acts chapter 6. And uh, it's, it's, no, it's 7. And uh, throwing the stones at him. Paul had the beginnings of a revelation. I'll tell you, part of the revelation for Paul was the self-righteousness of his own heart. And he began to kick against the pricks, you remember. And the Lord was pricking him in his conscience. And then the Lord in his great mercy met him on the Damascus road and he was brought to weakness. Revelation came. The Spirit came. You remember Ananias. And you know Paul went through other periods of revelation. Other periods. And we, we know that. Uh, we know that. In Arabia, he talks about in passing. And he talks about an occasion where he was brought to terrible weakness at one time. And uh, he was comforted by the Lord in an unusual way. He talks about it in the second letter of Corinthians, chapter 1, where a great richness of comfort came to him. He was blessed. He saw the Lord in another way and he was comforted so that he could comfort others with the comfort. Mm -hmm. And all of this is the result of revelation that did not inflate his mind, though he did have a marvellous experience, which he tells us about in chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians, where he heard things, you know, that it's not lawful for men to utter. You know, and he, he said that there was given to me a, a thorn in the flesh, lest I should be inflated above because of the richness. You see, there are things that the Lord delights to show his children. You know, revelation. And for Paul, of course, that we, we read this in verse 10, the revelation, and then he, he says, the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. So if I use the word investigation, so demonstration, and then revelation, now you've got the Spirit investigating, and I know I've mentioned this before, that how spontaneous the Spirit is. If I may put it this way, you know, it's all new for the Spirit. You know, he's investigating, the deep, you know, not, not that he never saw it before. Yes and no. What, you know, the secrets of God 
And so the spirit of the Lord, it, you know, this is why when, when the Lord shows you something, you know, some of us have got to free up big time. Yeah. We've got to free up from our self-composures and our strictures, you know, and we've got to come into the delights with, we were saying this morning, uh, that song we sang, from uh, Psalm 36. Uh, how precious is your unfailing love. And it, it talks about you give us to drink of the river of your delights. Your delights. You know, it's the Spirit who conveys. He's, you know, he's delighted in Jesus. The Father is delighted in Jesus. And haven't you had moments where you've been sitting there and pondering Jesus and thinking afresh about Jesus and somehow there's been a, a freshness. You saw him. You can't even exactly say what you saw. And you were delighted. You were delighted. The Spirit's work, revealing, revealing. And you know what this revelation, you know the Spirit investigating, searching, shows us a little more of the beauties of Jesus. And you know what it does to you, don't you? It chases unbelief away. It drives doubt out of you. It replaces fear with boldness. You become clearer and clearer. And that should be going on for us. I always remember reading, I've always been interested in Holocaust literature. My father was in the British forces. That's one of the reasons I have the name Hull instead of Gargiulo, which was my surname, an Italian name. My father wanted to fight for the British forces and they didn't want to take on people with Italian names. And uh, so my father changed our name. And <clears throat> he was one of the first men into Belson. One or two of the other places. He hardly ever talked about it to him. And, uh, but I became interested as a boy, really. And I remember one of the stories of a, a survivor of Auschwitz. And he said this One of the things that helped me was that every morning, I would go out of the barracks, weak as I was, half dead, whether it was 20 below or whatever, and I would wash myself in water. I would wash myself. I made myself clean, and it made me feel like a person. You know, every morning being washed. You know, that's 
That's the investigative ministry of the Spirit, that he comes to us to wash us, you know, with fresh understandings, to come to us, to help us to see. He investigates, and for Paul, Paul goes on further, and he says this, um, the thoughts of God, middle of verse 11, and so also no one comprehends the thoughts of God, but the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God, he knows. And he, he, he investigates and he, he tells us what we need to know. He prepares us for what we need to know, when we need to know it. And then he, he says that uh, he, the Spirit that's from God, comes to us, works in us, end of verse 12, that we might understand the gifts that are bestowed upon us, the gifts that are bestowed upon us by God. Do I know enough about this gift of being washed? Because you know that the devil sits on the shoulders of many people. You're not clean. What about this? What about that? How is that sort of thing chased away from us? So that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, the Lord has made me clean, the Lord has washed me. It's the Spirit who shows us the gift of a perpetual cleansing. Be clean. He says, come under my... By shower, if I can put it that way, you see. This is the Spirit's ministry that we might understand, that we might come into comprehension. That's my next word. You see, demonstration, revelation, and then investigation. And now that we might come to comprehend comprehension. It means we're taking you, do you remember some of you in your English lessons you know, the, they used to call it when I did English, I was never that good at English, where you know it was a test of your comprehension you know, what's King Lear all about or something, how much of this poem did you comprehend <laughs> you know <laughs> And, um, you know, the Spirit comes to bring us into comprehension. And then he goes on even further, doesn't he? And he says, verse 13, And we impart this. So Paul wants to impart it. We impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but by the Spirit. So now you've got education. You see, because a minister, Paul was a minister, he, he wanted to bring education. But you notice he put the word in before being taught. Did you notice the word impart? 
because he, and that would be my burden here, is not to bring, and this is a, a burden for me, I have to say this, it's almost as though I have a burden to discharge about the Lord's Church, about the Spirit's ministry tonight. You see, the, the true minister doesn't want to just bring education. <clears throat> he wants to bring impartation. There's your another word, the impartation of the Spirit. The impartation. Where there is that which is left in you, in me, by meeting together. Imparting. <coughs> Impartation. What a wonderful thing this is. You know, all this ministry of the Blessed Spirit. And I'll have to rush, obviously, but we'll move into chapter 6 very, very quickly. And we, we covered this, so I won't comment much on it. But in chapter 6, you come into these words where Paul says about inheriting the kingdom of God. Right at the end of verse 10, that the unclean and so on, they won't inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says, but such, verse 11, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 11, such were some of you. Not all of you, some of you. You all come from different backgrounds. Some of you were robbers, this, that, and the other, sexual perverts, I don't know why. That's what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and in the Spirit of our God. The Spirit worked in Jesus' name and did something in you people. He did three things, Paul mentions. Purification. Next one is sanctification. Third one is justification. You're beginning to build up all of these words, I hope, in your understanding. The Spirit's ministry. You know, He, he washed you. Yes. He, he does that. And you, you know he's not talking about a physical washing. He's talking about an inward washing, which no doubt in those who had unclean uses of their body, the inward washing will affect their outward body. Yes, the inward washing of the inward man will make it so that you don't look with shame upon your body because of what you did with it in years gone by. Think of the lady at Samaria by the well who had basically given her body 
and her heart away. The Lord would have washed her heart and washed her body. The body would have, you know, the whole man so that, isn't that a wonderful thing? Washing and sanctifying. That means setting you and I apart from common use unto holy use. And I commented about this before. And then sanctification, and then finally justification, where he justifies us in the spirit. Now I've washed you, Bernard. Don't think about what other people say about you. Justify in my sight. Now live it out. Now live it out. You know, this is the thing with us as, as God's house. Everybody else is trying to get rid of their sense of guilt. But we, our guilt has been settled. We're justified. You know, I always remember, I must have said this before, on a plane flying into Beirut. A long while ago, it was terrible. There were the, the um, what do you call it? The turbulence was vile. It was horrible. And this poor Muslim man sitting next to me. <sighs> dear, oh dear, I'm not normally like this on the plane. Hazel will tell you I go into travel mode. Which means don't disturb. <laughs> but uh, um, he was busy with his beads. You know, that petrified poor man. And uh, I leaned across to him and I said, It's all right. I said, We'll get down and okay. You know, I'm supposed to be here. God has sent me here. I said, Allah. sent me here and uh, he hasn't told me I'm going to die I've got the right to be on this plane you kind of feel justified <laughs> you know the Lord has justified me to be there you know not to invade another person's space you know the earth is the Lord's own right to go you understand Justification, you know, from our sin, to, to, to walk in a justified way. Justification, all this is made real in us by the Spirit. You know, and you understand that the Holy Spirit is a person, and you all know, and I'm sorry to state the obvious, that he's alive, and so he's doing these things all the time. Listen to him. Listen to his witness. Listen. I must learn to listen to him, not to the old wicked one and the accuser of the brethren. He's cast down. He's cast down. And I come to the end of chapter 6, where we finished last week where we were talking about being glued 
he who has glued himself to the Lord. Do you remember that? Mm -hmm. um, you know, he, where Paul says this, he, verse 17, who is glued to the Lord, that's the Greek word, who has glued himself to the Lord. And it's very interesting to me that, you know, the Lord, <laughs> you know, when he got hold of you, he glued you to him. If I may put it this way, even in Calvary, God was gluing you to his son. Sounds strange language. But Paul is not talking about that. He's talking about you gluing yourself. You know, gluing. He's talking about us from outside reaffirming I'm yours. And there are times when you have to do that, isn't there? When you have to walk away from something. When you have to put off a temptation. When you just, you walk away. And you glue yourself to the Lord. Do you know uh, the piano's open? Well, normally it's locked. And I went across there. What did I start off with? I played a little of the opening bars of. Which, which, which is that sonata? I can't remember what it was. Warsaw Concerto or something, I don't know. And uh, then I played a, a chorus by ear. And it's horrible. It's horrible to listen to myself. Because nothing's together. Because it's 50 years ago since I played. You know, it's horrible. And I can hardly read music now. Because the Lord spoke to me in 1967 you must stop now you must give yourself to my word and I glued myself to the Lord in that thing and you know sometimes I sit and listen or you know occasionally watch a movie a musical and I can hear all changes and the things going on. It's, it's irritating, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> I irritate Hazel no end. And, uh, is that all is it? Is that the next irritation? <laughs> you know, the glue. It's wonderful. There are times in your life where the Lord will come to you. Maybe it's already happened. And you have, and he said, now, no more. Now, this is the way for you. Now, glue yourself. Walk in this way. That, no more. Nothing wrong with it. But for you, no more. This. This. Amen. And then Paul says these lovely words, doesn't he? He says, he that is glued himself to the Lord, or united to the Lord, becomes one spirit with him. Now this is important. 
almost the most important one of all, unification. Mm. Unification. Mm. Where the Spirit unifies us in spirit to the Lord himself. Unified in one spirit. Can I ask you, have you ever delighted in these lovely words, I shall write my laws on your heart. I will baptize you in my spirit, saith the Lord. My spirit. To be, do you remember John James? It's um, the ninth of Luke, where it says that they wanted to call down fire from heaven. Oh, you don't know what manner of spirit you're of. No, no, no. That's not our spirit. It's not our spirit. You see, to be unified in the spirit. And you know, when a church increasingly becomes really one spirit with him, they're outreaching, they're inreaching, they're onreaching, you know, their arms are wide open, their faces are open, their eyes are open. It's tremendous unification where we're not uh, and we must understand this imagine us here if we really deepened and all as individuals were really living one spirit with him we'd be one spirit with one another and all the power Oh, the power of the prayer. Oh, the power. You know, one of the explanations of God's workings with people in the Spirit and the continuity of things. Why did I love Oswald Chambers and read everything that was ever in print by him in the space of about six months in 1973. Why ever did I do that? Because he was one spirit with God. He'd come to that place, one spirit. And I was ready, one spirit. I was hungry and thirsty. And so this man put into words one spirit. Why, why, for instance, was there a, a move of God? And we're partly here because of a move of God that happened in Bradford that most of you have never heard of that took place in 1953, 54 and 55. Laura is here partly because of that. And I will tell you something. 
that the Lord moved about this pastor and his wife and three daughters up to that church up in Bradford and there was an old man who was an elder there who had seen a move of God back in the 1920s an outpouring of God's spirit and this younger pastor was hungry for this move of God himself and who do you think came to spend the weekend with that younger pastor and his wife and three daughters Duncan Campbell came from Scotland pretty fresh from the Hebrides where there'd been a move of God and so there were hearts the old man the younger pastor around 40 at the time and Duncan Campbell in those days about 55 years old and they were one spirit and something was imparted in the Holy Ghost to that younger pastor and you know it's remarkable and one of the stories that Duncan Campbell told in that household that weekend was how he was arrived in the Hebrides and was walking along uh, to the chapel and there was he heard a cry in the by the side of the road and he, he went and he looked over the hedge and there was this this voice saying oh Lord the walls of Zion are broken down the walls of Zion are broken down crying out oh Lord the walls of Zion are broken down going on and on nothing else the walls of Zion are broken and there was a lady kneeling in the ditch praying oh Lord the walls of Zion are broken down and Duncan Cannon said you will not be surprised that when I arrived at the chapel it was packed with people there was no praying sorry no preaching people were on their faces and groaning and coming through with God and thus the move of God began but the lady in the ditch was one spirit with God unification where the, the spirit of God had brought her spirit into complete synchronization into unity with the burden of God indeed the walls of Zion are broken down nowadays don't you feel it sometimes where the walls of Zion are broken down you rejoice in the one hand for the church there and the church there and for brothers and sisters down the road and you know you 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 you, you thank God think of where Chris and Ginny have moved to and they've they're almost a few doors down from a lady I, I saw her. I, I thought she was a Christian as soon as I set eyes on her walking past. And I spoke with her. But 
You know, you long, oh Lord, the walls of Zion are broken down. You know, I often think of, of Exeter, where you come from. Oh Lord, oh Lord, bring us in into full unification with you. And you don't use, lose your identity. We're not talking about absorption. We're talking about unification, where two become one, but there's still two. You understand? We're not talking, we're not Hindus, we're not getting absorbed into the Atman, we're not getting absorbed we're not losing our identity. I'm still Bernard. Hazel is still Hazel. Mark is still Mark. You are still you. You understand? But we are, we are just unified with one through unification with the Spirit. Wonderful. And this is the way, by the way, that we come to this place in chapter 6, right at the end of the chapter, where we become the temple of the Holy Spirit. Habitation. Where we become the habitation of God. Where he inhabits us. You know, we're the habitation. Tremendous making a, a home. Page and I were living in this little lodge down in Dawes Warren for, I think, nine months or something for you. It was at least nine months, dear, or ten, wasn't it? Yes, for me. But, you know, it was changed from being rather basic into a habitation. It became a habitation. We had our things there, and my things there, and you know, Hazel's things there, and blah, blah, you know what I'm saying. Habitation. Different. Different. Now we've got them. Of course, Chris and Ginny were living in our house with the children, so as best they could, they made it their habitation. So the girls are sleeping on the floor here and there's that and they made a tent there and they've done this and they've done they've made it their habitation. Now we get back into our place and of course they've left it lovely and clean. But we took advantage, having just lived there six years, to do spring cleaning in autumn. And uh, you know, we made it our habitation again. You get the difference between that. You know, in the Holy Spirit, we become the habitation of the Spirit. Ah, I can hang up my things there, the Spirit says. I can hang my thoughts up there. And then we went back down to the lodge the other day to have a look at it and how we'd left it, and it's rather bare. Mm. You know, our things are not there, and it's all rather back to basics. <laughs> Inadequate for a few days' holiday to live in. And there are times when I think that the Holy Spirit's like that with some of us. You know, he, he can spend a day or two there, but he, it's never really his habitation. 
but he really wants it. Habitation. And we'll rush on, ever so quick, to chapter 12. And uh, you know, Paul, we're going to take a lot of time in these chapters, 11, 12, 13, 14. But in chapter 12, at the beginning, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were heathen, you were led astray to dumb idols. However, you may have been moved. That's important, by the way. Uh, some versions say, led and carried away. You were carried away. And that's actually what it means. Something led you to be carried away. That's your old life. But don't think that life in the Lord is any different from those two words. He wants to lead you so that you become carried away. Carried away. Yes, I mean it. Where you're no longer intact in the sense of in your say-so. Where you're carried away where you are led by the Spirit to be carried away, and then he tells you what your life should be carried away to. In verse 3, he says, No one can say, Jesus, Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. That's what he wants to carry you, the Spirit wants to carry you away so that you are carried to a life of declaration. Declaration. Where your life is declaring, Jesus, Lord, the is is not there. It is, to use another word, an ejaculation. An explosion of utterance. Jesus, Lord, no one can declare that like that in their life except by the Holy Spirit. Only the Holy Spirit can lift your spirit like that, lift your life like that, lift my life like that. Only the Spirit. The Holy Spirit lifts us out of ourselves, carries us away, leads us to this life where our life is saying, Jesus, Lord. I suppose it was because of that that I stopped the music. Because he was carrying me away. The Spirit was saying, no. Jesus, Lord, and there are those of people here, I don't know, it may have happened to you, where possibly you had a career of a certain kind, and 
a direction that you could have gone. And uh, it was all opened to you. And yet you were carried away by the Spirit in the direction of total obedience to Christ. When I left industry, it's, it's remarkable what happened. You know how God teaches you these things in ways. When I, I had such a job that I so enjoyed. I, it was, I loved it. And uh, I was doing well. And the Lord said to me, he spoke in my heart. I didn't hear a voice or a word of scripture. I just knew I must leave. And uh, it was the only time I ever heard my father swear. <laughs> and my father swore at me. And he called me a such and such, such and such. You can serve the Lord, Bernard, and not give up your job. Think of your future. Mm. Think of all the opportunities. And on top of that, would you believe, I had a letter from the United States. And they said, we hear you're a specialist in so-and-so, so-and-so. We are offering you so much money and offering you a bungalow and offering to you also a car supply if you will come. The, the old wicked one sort of waves his little... <laughs> you see, the spirit was in me, enabling me to be carried away to declare, no, Jesus is Lord. No, Jesus is Lord. The spirit, no one can say that Jesus Lord, you know, thinking back to Auschwitz and one time years ago when a man took me there um, who lived nearby, he, he, he wanted to take me and he told me, he was young in those days, this was in, in the late 70s I think, and he said to me, my uncle was killed in this room by Mengele mm -hmm. with an injection direct to the heart because he protected Jews. He was a Pole, Polish Christian, protecting Jews, mm -hmm. sheltering them. You see, in the spirit that worked in that old uncle to declare, Jesus, Lord, you're, you're getting me, aren't you? You're getting me. Declaration, where our life declares, Jesus, Lord. It's exciting. And then you go on. And I'm drawing to the end now, where we read this, verse 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. The manifestation of the Spirit. 
That's why I think I wanted to enter into the gifts of the Spirit, because he's actually talking in this context about gifts of the Spirit. Manifestation comes from a word that is, it means to do with an outshining. An outshining. The outshining of the Spirit. So, for instance, I suppose that I am, I'm not using a gift. You, at the more you become someone who begins by the leading of the Spirit to use a gift, you will become a gift. You become a gift. You become a gift. And each gift is really simply one of the means in which the Spirit outshines the life, the love of Christ. So he will mention the gift of tongues in this list. Just one of the lists. And the proper use of the gift of tongues is it's just an outshining. You don't understand the word, but the tone the rhythm of the language. This isn't some gobbledygook, some crazy, screamed nonsense. This is something, when you hear proper tongues, they're very beautiful. And they're even more beautiful if you hear a true interpretation into the vernacular that you understand. And how wonderful that God, by his Spirit, he wants to shine out in tangible ways. He wants to manifest. He wants to manifest his love. So a miracle. Some, you know, these are lovely things. Manifestation. This is why we should not be saying, half of us are, are afraid of these things because maybe we've had a bad experience in the past. You know, some people do learn bad habits. I think of something that happened recently and uh, in a meeting and it, it wasn't particularly helpful what had happened and I got into a little bit of trouble because I allowed it to go on and I said did you notice anything wrong spirited about the lady no but we didn't like the way it went on and I said I agree but her spirit was right. Her spirit was right. And I said, probably that lady learned a bad habit in her background. And she thought that you shook and shaked and wept and did various things. And that's the way it was. And I said, if, 
it's sad she learned the wrong way. Mm. You see, sometimes we can we can do the right thing the wrong way. Mm. If we learn bad a bit. That's why we need the spirit and we need the teachings of those that are wise and who have experience in these things. But it's wonderful, the manifestation of the Spirit. And finally, um, to rush right on, just finish this thought, where Paul writes a little more about the Spirit. Verse 13, where he says, in one spirit, we were all immersed, immersion, baptized, into one body, immersion of the spirit. It's a good word. It's a good word, immersion. I could link it with initiation. Couldn't I? Where you're initiated into the realm of the spirit. And then he says, finally, this word, if you can think of one I can't, that carries on the idea where he talks about drinking into the one spirit. I thought about it, I can't think of a word that follows through with the Shuns at the end, but you, you, I hope it's a help for you. You see, because this is what worries me a little bit about, we've got to be so careful. Strictly come dancing. Be careful. What spirit are you drinking into? You know, there's this spirit out there. When you when you watch BBC News, you see John Sobel from Washington. Mm. And if you listen to him, you're drinking in to a liberal cynic who's bringing a perverted thing. And many Laura Kinsberg's little better. You see, because there, there is a policy going on and you're drinking into a spirit. And some people drink into a crowd spirit. Antifa. BLM. Well, now you've got Blue Lives Matter. That's policemen. And they do they do. You see, and before you know it, you're drinking into a spirit of anger that incites to wrath. And you see, we have all been made to drink into one spirit. To turn and drink from him, from his spirit. And we have to do that at times with a distinct action of will. I turn to you, I drink, I turn away from this other spirit. You know, the, the critical spirit, negative spirit, 
hurtful spirit. And we return and we drink of the cup of the Lord. So I've tried to say and emphasize the work of the Spirit in these words. And I hope that it's somehow helpful for church. No church without spirit. That's the thing. And without the spirit working these wonderful works that he wants to do. The always. And through all. So that he's able to manifest. And uh, there's one more that's there in chapter 12, if you noticed it, where it is recorded that he distributions the gifts, the Spirit gives. He gives distributions. I did not choose. He distributed this term. He distributes to you. You can covet best gifts, and you should. Perhaps that's one of the reasons why he took me away from the music, because it's not even in the list. Maybe it's one of the reasons, because even from earliest days I was coveting in the right sense. Oh Lord, make me the one of the gifts he did not choose to give me, that I always wanted, was the gift of evangelists. accept both the opportunities and the limitations that he distributes and he knows best distributions of the spirit so I hope it's helpful it's not helpful it's been a long while but I hope it's helpful it makes me want to say oh Lord more of your spirit Such is your way, our God. 
the widow sent you, but he slumbers not nor sleeps. The Lord, but is ever at work. The Lord investigating, revealing, renewing, washing, doing all these things and many more. Much more. Thank you, Father. Thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you.